to first start by saying thank you all for last week, uh, giving me the space to preach a sermon that I felt like I needed to, to preach. Um, I know it might not have been easy uh, for you to hear what I had to say. It also wasn't easy for me to say what I felt um, God was calling me to say uh, to this community, but I am grateful. Um, last week, I joined others, others in the faith community to... Um, at a press conference outside of Senator Cornyn's office uh, to call for an end uh, to assault rifles. I also want to let you know, well, I, I also want to let you know that um, I mentioned a Republican in New York by name last Sunday, uh, Chris Jacobs, said I was going to donate money to his campaign because he is willing to say that he was going to ban assault rifles. Um, on Friday, Chris Jacobs dropped out of, uh, out of the race because once he uttered that statement, every single Republican that had endorsed him withdrew their endorsement. So yes, this is a spiritual problem, but it's also a political problem. And for far too long, the church has not done a good enough job engaging with this. So... All that to say is that there continues to be work for us to do as the body of Christ in the world to help create spaces for God's reign to flourish. But I can't think of a better Sunday for us, uh, for my last Sunday, than Pentecost. It is truly, I think, the staff's favorite Sunday. It's a day that the Spirit, right, we're, we're told uh, the third person of the Trinity descends upon the earth, and this dramatic, kind of forceful, staggering account um, often leaves us mesmerized when we hear the story read aloud because, well, frankly, there's so much going on in these 21 verses. There's wind and fire, there's miracles, proclamation, there's assurance and purpose. And really, it's all this divine gift, if we've been paying attention, right? It is God giving to the faithful what they need to do the work of God and the new church, right? It is, it is a gift from God, a gift that's really born out of this divine love. And so we are in chapter 4, this whole train that we started we dreamed up in six weeks and then started in like mid-January. This thing's not stopping, right? Uh, the Unfold series, A Year of Discovering Story, continues on. We're in chapter four, empowered but, or flawed but empowered, right? And so if you don't have a journal, pick one up. There are some in the narthex. Also, um, there are some really great resources online on our website. In Pentecost, right? So, so we kind of sit here in this, this space, and it's a gift from God, a promise fulfilled that God's love isn't conditional. God kind of desires, right? We've talked about God desires to be in relationship with us. God is indeed forgiving. Why? It's fairly simple, because God is love, right? God's desire to forgive and be in relationship with us is because God deeply loves us and all of creation, and it's Jesus then who assures his disciples multiple times in the Gospels, most notably in John 14, that the Holy Spirit is coming, 
that they will receive the power they need from the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are parts in the gospel where Jesus says, you will be able to do things greater than I because the Holy Spirit will be given to you. And here is this account, this gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples, Acts 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what is spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my servants, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great glorious day. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. I can already tell I'm going to need this, so. As most of you know, I lived in Anchorage, Alaska for a year. I've used it in numerous sermon illustrations. Um, but I moved to Anchorage after I graduated from Hendricks College in Arkansas. And it was uh, my senior year, and um, I was dating this girl who I, was, I thought hung the moon, right? It's head over hills for her. And a few months before we graduated, we were sitting outside of the student union, and she told me, Mitchell, I'm going to move to Oregon to be an AmeriCorps member. And I was um, 
well, I was crushed because I tend to be emotional and dramatic, right? And, um, and I was, uh, you know, in my emotional stress, I, I decided to forego an opportunity to work in Nashville, and I applied for an AmeriCorps position in Anchorage because Oregon is far, but Alaska is much farther away, right? And I wasn't going to be outdone. And so for some reason, uh, I don't know why, we went to our like Western regional training program together. Uh, it was in Provo, Utah, and uh, the whole area was on fire while we were there. So it was really smoky, and it wasn't a great experience. And then I spent one night uh, with, uh, with this girlfriend in Oregon, and then uh, we broke up the next morning. And uh, then I drove on up the Pacific uh, Northwest and uh, found myself in Vancouver. And um, because I'm dramatic, I decided that I would drive all the way to Anchorage. And uh, everything I owned at that point fit inside my little uh, Jetta. It was this awesome car, it's turbocharged, but everything I had in uh, possession of was inside that car. And as I left Vancouver, I became a bit overwhelmed by some of the decisions I was making rather haphazardly the months prior. It was a 48-hour drive from Vancouver to Anchorage because they were doing some construction. Usually it's 44 hours. It turned out to actually be 53 hours, but, um, but who was counting, right? Uh, I, my mom was. Um, and I had mapped out the whole thing. Um, there's this book called The Milepost. It's for people who are driving the Alaskan Highway. It tells you what places are going to be open for the season, where there was going to be planned construction. It didn't tell you where there was not planned construction, but at least it told you, you know, what to expect and, like, don't expect to get gas in this city because, you know, the Smiths are out on vacation for the summer, whatever it was, right? So I was driving uh, along, and I had just got um, all the way uh, to Watson's Lake. And um, I, was out, I was in Watson's Lake, and I had two rules uh, for driving. It, they were very simple. When I was smoking cigarettes, I had to do so with the window down. That was rule number one, because I used to smoke cigarettes. And rule number two was always pull over if I got tired. So I'm in Watson Lake. I'm about to depart. I filled up my car with gas. I filled up my gas can with gas that was inside my car. I had bought a pack of cigarettes, and I had filled up my thermos yeah, that's why you don't smoke with the windows up, because I had a gas can in the car. Okay. There's a lot of reasons not to smoke, uh, but you certainly don't do it with a gas can in the car unless the window's down. So I had a thermos filled, I filled up an entire thermos of coffee, and the, the cashier was like, you need to be careful because of the storm, you know, just drive safe. And I was like, what storm? And she's like, we're getting, you know, like, we're getting a big storm, so just be careful out on the road. So, okay, I, I leave. And it's not about 10 minutes later that it just starts raining. And it literally rains for hours. The storm system got caught up on the western, uh, you know, uh, part of the Canadian Rockies. And it was just kind of sitting there. And it was just raining literally for hours. Just a downpour. You know that rain we had 
uh, what, last week or, or earlier this week, right? It was just like so much rain, which meant I can't roll down my window, right? Because it's raining too much. So I'm getting agitated, right? I'm also getting a bit frustrated and scared because I don't know where I'm going. I'm on a two-lane highway in the middle of the Yukon, and no one knows where I am. I don't know where I am. I can't see where I'm going, right? And I'm just bare, like white-knuckling my steering wheel, just hoping I'm not about to slide off into right some sort of like crevice or run my car off the mountain. And so I keep, I keep driving and driving and driving, and it's getting worse, and I'm listening to sad emo music because I'm all sad, right? And it's just like, it was really this like, I could feel the anxiety building up within me, you know, and there was no one to talk to, and I was talking to myself, and it just was, it was a bad situation. And, and y'all, I was so worried, like, rocks were going to fall on me, and, and I was going to hit a mudslide or run into a car that I couldn't see. And finally, I yelled out, God, please make this rain stop. And that's how prayer works. <laughs> Because the rain stopped, right? <laughs> I've never experienced anything like it. For some reason, the rain stopped. Well, there's a, there is a scientific reason the rain stopped, right? It's that I was at the edge of the storm. I was also at the edge of, like, my limit. And as the rain stopped, I came up over this little... This little hill, I'd been on these switchbacks, and I had popped right over, and as I peered up over the mountain, I was absolutely blown away. I'd ne- I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I had never seen anything like it. It was expansive, and it was untamed, And there wasn't a soul around, and I could see for miles and miles and miles some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen in my entire life, and there was not a single person for me to share it with outside of the divine. Like, seriously, when I think about some of the most important spiritual moments I've had in my life, it is this sort of experience I've had or had driving right to Alaska. It has become sort of this sort of spiritual metaphor that I use often in my own personal life because all of a sudden, what was dark and gloomy and filled with fear opened up into this wonderful world of possibility. And when I think about the Pentecost story, personally, this is what I think is happening. Remember that Jesus has left his disciples alone. He's ascended. We talked about this last week. They are alone, and they are, wait, they are waiting and waiting and waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. They are praying and reading scripture, and anticipating what that sort of gift will be for them. And I think of this moment, the one I had in the Yukon, um, especially in the depths of a bad day, like when I'm stuck at Garland and Gaston, right? (laughs) Which I better get used to uh, because my commute right now is literally 130 seconds 
um, I realize that I may have some more bad days coming at that intersection, right? I think of this kind of experience I had in relationship to the Pentecost story um, because it is a place where we see God sort of in breaking into the world in such dramatic fashion that really nothing is the same. I like to think of Pentecost in this way, as sort of a third creation story, if you will, a spiritual creation story, and the disciples are at the epicenter of this sort of spiritual big bang. Pentecost is a moment in time, a ripple in the created order in which God becomes universally active in the most intimate and personal of ways. The disciples go from right this huddled position, studying, praying, pondering what's next, looking inward, to all of a sudden immediately proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in ways that push through boundaries and borders. And what I love most is this story represents the start of God's redeeming work through flawed but faithful folks. God chooses flawed but faithful folks to participate in the redemption of creation. That's who God chooses for this kingdom work, for this reign of God to kind of saturate the earth, right? This love of God that knows no barrier, barriers, and it begins engulfing the world and unfolding in dramatic and life-changing ways. And the most important thing for us this morning is to realize that the Pentecost story is the beginning. It's not a grand finale, and it's not a spiritual benchmark. It's the start of God's collaboration with creation. And from it, new life is found. New wine is made and put into new wineskins. Eunuchs and social outcasts, the voiceless, the forgotten men and women, right? Non-binary folks, Greek and Jews and free and oppressed folks, all are empowered, all of us empowered to carry God's story out into the world. And this story matters as much today as it did when the Holy Spirit disrupted and upended the social order. And and what is that story, dear friends? What is the story that we're learning about for an entire year? What is the story that the disciples are then tasked with taking out into the world after this Pentecost experience? What is that story? It is simply this, I believe, that love ultimately wins that God's love will ultimately win. That God's grace is abundant. And this idea of scarcity, it is certainly a myth. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of acceptance. It's a story of purpose. It's a story of incarnation and God's love taking on a body, a real body. And it's a story of Jesus loving the world so much that he would give his life for it. And it's a story of life, death, and resurrection. That's the gospel.
And that's what the disciples are tasked with taking out into the world. This story of life and death and resurrection. And I know that part of the story to be true. I know it in my bones that that part of the story is true. I've come to believe that resurrection isn't just something we wait for. It isn't a suspended reality. It is truly here and now. It is available to us right here, right now in this life. And I've come to believe that to be true, absolutely true, because of you. Because of you. Because I've seen it with my own eyes. I felt it. I've touched it. I've been swept up in that spiritual big bang. My 10 years at White Rock UMC, right, have shown me that God remains obsessed with this new creation, this opportunity to create new wine and fill new wineskins. God brings about new life even through us, flawed people but empowered people to do a holy and bold thing day in and day out. I've come to believe that because of you. We know it, all, it wasn't always like, um, like this here. We know that at one time we were assumed to be dead as a congregation and as a church. And depending on which consultant report we had many, you chose to make your worldly gospel. We weren't just dying, but we were already dead. We were Lazarus. Our only life, our only conversations were centered in the past. And yet somehow, and in some way, and I haven't fully, I don't fully understand it, but somehow God did something miraculous. Now many have asked how churches have come to learn Bishops have inquired about how a Methodist church in a changing neighborhood clinging to life after decades of decline could flourish again. And the only answer that I know of is that the Spirit is doing a new thing here. Many of you have emailed me. You've been very gracious in your emails. And for some of you, you say, thank you for saving the church, Mitchell. But here's the truth. I didn't save White Rock. God did. Now, Neil wrote some creative leases. Creative and mostly legal leases. <laughs> and developed some amazing relationships. And we generated desperately needed revenue, no doubt. And built neighborhood com connections. And Rebecca took over for Lynn's faithfulness, leading our worship and infused it with this kind of eclectic and authentic feel that we desperately needed at the right time, right, in this neighborhood. And she is simply the most gifted worship leader I've ever encountered. And Phil, and Phil um, he led with curiosity and saw what none of us could which is that you can build community online and pushed us out into the world in a time where that was the only place the church was headed, online. And Dexter, well, he can make anything beautiful, 
And he's done so for a long time. And for even longer than that, he was doing it as a labor of love for our church. Becky and Victoria loved our families well. Cam, Jake, and Jacob made order out of our chaos. Josh revealed a prophetic purpose. Keith has pastorally loved unconditionally you all in the midst of grief and pain. Farron shows up Sunday after Sunday playing beautifully. And our leadership team took risk, trusted a vision, and refused to lead with the word no on more than one occasion. All of this is true, but it isn't what saved us. Our response to God in all our particular ways with all of our skills and all of our flaws, all of it was simply an exercise in faithfulness. We remained faithful. We sought out the Spirit. We prayed. We showed up. Some of you showed up when no one else was showing up. We listened to our community. We said hard things to one another. We did hard things and challenging things. But not to fix this church, right? We did it together because God was doing a new thing. We simply remained faithful. God brought new life here, and I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that I had a front row seat for it all. And it is your unrelenting faithfulness that I get to carry with me. My ministry, how I think about our churches, how I lead, how I try to serve, all of who I am has forever been altered and changed because of you, because of your faithfulness. And I am so grateful because you have loved me and my family so well, so, so well. And it is impossible to put into words what it means to me that Cash's first memories of church, of what church can be, will be this place. You love my spouse and my partner so well. You welcomed my parents with open arms. And all of that love, and all of that faithfulness, I carry with me. And so I end here because it's 26 minutes and 30 seconds in. I'm forever grateful for your trust and your willingness to follow. And I've loved every second of being here. And though I thought it would only be for a year when I was first appointed, I am so, so thankful it turned into 10 years of shared work. And we are thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be able to stay in East Dallas. I cannot tell you how thrilled we are to not have to move. <laughs> and I will always cheer you on. And we will remain friends and we're going to see each other at Albertsons trying to figure out where they put the flower because they seem to change it up every six months. We're going to hang out at Rodeo Goat and we're going to have a grand old time. We're going to be friends and we're going to be neighbors. But after today, 
I will no longer be your pastor. You are receiving a new senior pastor. And she's incredible. Carrie Smith will challenge and love you. She will lead and inspire you and create alongside you new ways of being the church. Because the world needs more churches like White Rock. We have plenty of churches, but we need more churches like White Rock. Our community desperately needs your witness. And as we see in the Pentecost story, the world becomes filled with possibility. The faithful become empowered and God begins doing a new thing. And God is still to this day, right now, doing a new thing. So let us trust that the Spirit is still moving. Let's remain faithful even then in the midst of the unknown and transition. And let's keep pushing the walls of our church wider and wider and wider. Because there are folks right now in our neighborhood that need to know that they are completely and fully loved by God. They need to know that they are fully loved by God and that there is nothing that can change that. So may you continue to do the good, holy work of creating space for all God's children in a way that only you as the people of White Rock United Methodist Church can do. Do not stop. Keep going. For there are plenty of people that need to hear that good news. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.